This message was presented at the GYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning. That was a beautiful song. Thank you so much for sharing. You sounded much older than the way you looked. But have you been blessed this GYC? I have been tremendously blessed. I have been to several different GYCs. I actually went to the very first GYC, year 2002. And I decided that during some of the seminars, I was going to skip them and go hang out with my friends. So me and my friend decided after one particular speaker was continuing with his sermon, we decided that we were going to go outside and take a walk. We had enough. Our minds could not last more than 10 minutes during a sermon. So we went for a walk. This was down in Pine Springs Ranch. And let me tell you, we almost died. What happened is, we were walking around the trails, and there we saw this fenced-off area that said, do not trespass. And you know what we did? Yeah, you know it. We jumped over the fence, and we decided to take a walk. We went walking for miles, like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, we just went out for miles. We were going further and further. We were looking at some of the hills, and we were watching all these things, and we were just like, nature is so beautiful. And as we continued to walk, all of a sudden, a a snowstorm came in. And this snowstorm just really poured out so much snow. It was crazy. I never forgot that, like, we couldn't even see any more, any of the buildings, nothing man-made, and we got lost. In fact, what was so funny, I thought to myself, I am not going to die out here. Indian people do not die in the snow. Spelling bees, yes, but snow, no. And so we were out there, and we were just, we were getting very irritated at each other, and there we were, and we were just thinking to ourselves, oh, I wish we never skipped these seminars. Ladies and gentlemen, you skip a seminar, it may be at the peril of your own life. (laughs) Especially on the one on apologetics. The other thing I learned is God got us back, but we kept walking in the direction. I mean, we had no idea where we were going. And we began to pray, Lord, please show us where we should go. And we just continued walking and walking and walking. And it just seemed like for miles we were walking. And finally we saw those buildings and we went in there and we were so happy to see everybody at GYC again. But I learned a powerful lesson. I and just thought about this lesson when I was backstage. And that is this. You skip those seminars... God may have you up here presenting a sermon. (laughs) Better watch out. The Holy Spirit is watching you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't we start with the word of prayer and let's ask Jesus to bless us with the Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time. And we pray and ask that you would bless us. God, that you would invigorate us as we are preparing to head home. Lord, we pray that you would end in just a powerful way this conference. Thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, everybody, take your Bibles, your iPhones, whatever it is. Take your Bibles. We're going to be looking at a very important verse. Take your Bibles. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 
First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1 is a very beautiful chapter. You're going to be learning about a very special group of beings. First Peter chapter 1. And if you're there, go ahead and say amen. All right. First Peter chapter 1. And let's start with verse 10. Look what the Bible says right here. Of this salvation. Peter here is talking about the gospel. And he's talking about the grace of God. So he says, of this salvation. Look what he says next. The prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now watch his caveat he adds at the end. Things which angels desire to look into. Peter says something so remarkable about the gospel. He says this is something that unfallen angels love to look into. In fact, Hebrews says that they love to spread the gospel as well. So here we hear about Entity One. Entity One loves to preach the gospel. They love to give the gospel. They love to look deeper into the gospel. But now let me introduce you to another entity. Take your Bible and let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look what the scriptures are saying, chapter 4, starting with verse 3. But even if our what? Gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are what? Perishing, now watch verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has what? Blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now notice this, the Bible then introduces us to another entity, and this entity is purposed to make sure that the gospel should never be known. So you have one group that is determined to see that the gospel go forward, you have another group that is determined to see that the gospel is never given. And the reason why, ladies and gentlemen, is because when the gospel goes to the entire world, the end will come. Satan's end will come. And he knows it. If you take one country and they're warring with another country, and that country develops a weapon that will end the world, ladies and gentlemen, the under other country is going to do whatever it takes to see that that country never transports that weapon. Or at least distort it. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the midst of this war. And when the gospel goes to the entire world, the war is over. He wants us to spread this message in a very powerful way. Can you say amen to that? Now, I love what Jeffrey said. If you take your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 3. He talked about a very powerful verse. Ephesians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians Philippians, Colossians. General Electric Power Company. I'm trying to think of an Indian rendition of that. I can't. Okay, Ephesians chapter 3. Are we all there? You're going to see something very powerful. Let's start with verse 8. Paul here is speaking about the gospel. He says something extraordinary. 
To me, who am less than the least of all saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the who? Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Now watch verse 10, because it's very important. To the intent, in other words, for this reason, Paul says the gospel was given to him. Now watch this. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the who? Church. He says, the gospel was given to me so I could preach it to the church. But watch, he doesn't end the point there. Look what he says next. Might be made no bind the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And Jeffrey touched on this. The gospel was given to Paul so that he could preach the gospel to the church, that they could preach the gospel to the universe. To the universe. Now you just think about that, ladies and gentlemen. God is actually using the church to preach the gospel to countless unfallen beings. And we have learned so much about this powerful meta-narrative. This idea that there is a bigger world out there. And if you missed that, you go to Ellen White and UFOs. And you'll find out more about this huge universe that we live in. And there are no aliens that visit our world, just letting you know. But that's super important. This huge meta-narrative. We live in a much bigger world, a much bigger universe. And our existence somehow matters knowing this. But now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to introduce you to something much bigger than this meta-narrative. An ultra-narrative. Now you're thinking to yourself, what in the world is an ultra-narrative? It is something that is much bigger than a meta-narrative. Amen? Now go to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm about to introduce you to this ultra-narrative. You're thinking to yourself, well, what could be much bigger than the universe? I'm about to show you. Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 4. Are we all there? But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when while we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together. Now watch this. And made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, ages to come is not a reference to your grandchildren. Ages to come refers to eternity. In other words, the ultra-narrative has to do with eternity, ladies and gentlemen. And God is dealing with you with this perspective of eternity in his mind. Can you imagine the calculations? Eternity is a perspective in which God runs your life. And this whole great controversy plays out throughout all the entire universe. God is doing things here now because for all of eternity, it somehow matters. Eternity is the ultra-narrative. And God has given the gospel to Seventh-day Adventists, but if you read the Three Angels' message, the Pledge of Allegiance for Seventh-day Adventists, you will find it starts with the everlasting what? And normally we think the everlasting gospel, that just applies to eternity past. Wrong. 
it not only applies to eternity past, but ladies and gentlemen, there's something we're missing. It applies to eternity future. There is a perspective in which God is working in our lives with that powerful insight. Eternity. Eternity. Now, that being said, Paul says the gospel was given to us that in ages to come, he might show the exceeding kindness of God. In other words, there are things that are going to be revealed trillions of years from now that are going to say so much about God. And somehow, it was because of things that were taking place today. Today. Some conversation that you had with somebody else about spiritual things, somehow, in a million years from now, it's going to matter in some powerful way. And it just blows your mind. Ladies and gentlemen, there's something that God is trying to reveal to us about the everlasting gospel that he has entrusted to Seventh-day Adventists. It doesn't just apply to eternity past. There's something we need to understand about eternity future. Now, Christianity is about a race. Can you say amen to that? You know, there's this fad, and I just want to address this fad and rebuke these people. I have a lot of friends that like to run. I don't like to run. That's why we have cars. I have sometimes friends that call me up and they'll say, Hey, Nell, we're going to be doing a 5K. Do you want to join us? And I said, No. I'll do the March of Dimes, but I am not running in some 5K. I have other friends that said, Hey, we're going to go train for a half a marathon. Do you want to join us? Nope. Oh, brother, we're going to be doing Tough Mudder. Do you want to join us and get some training in? Nope. Now, for me, I like exercise. I like going in some hole-in-the-wall gym and working out and bench pressing. I don't like running. Indian people were not made for running. We calculate who the winner is. I'm the only one who can say those kinds of things. <laughs> Anybody else, I would feel uncomfortable. But I have a lot of these friends, and there's this fat, and I'm not really dissing it. All I'm simply saying, ladies and gentlemen, is that this is a craze right now. A lot of people like to run. In fact, how many people went on the 5K? Amen. Three of you. <laughs> Amen. In fact, when I was walking through the registration booth, they're like, hey, do you want to sign up for the 5K? And I was like, ah. And they said, please sign up. And so somehow I signed up. And I paid $30, but I never ran. <laughs> and whoever you are who guided me to that decision, I will pay you back later. But ladies and gentlemen, life is a race. Can you say amen to that? And this morning, I was really impressed with this concept about race. Like, we are running a race in Christianity. Amen? Paul talks about that. Now, the cool thing about Paul, he wasn't a runner, but he was a spectator like me. We watch the races, right? We don't participate. But he pulled out so many different analogies and illustrations about people who are running. In fact, I never forgot one morning I woke up, and it was sometime last year, I heard this racket outside. And I got up, real wild-eyed, and I came outside, 
And I normally don't have a smile on my face. Default is frown. And so I walked outside and there was a marathon right outside my house. Right outside my house. It's like they couldn't find somewhere else. Let's go in front of Vanell's house. But this was the thing. I started thinking about that. That Christianity is a race. It's about running in this journey. And many times, many of us just sort of back away. Halfway in the journey, many people fall and they never get back up. Others start going backwards. But God wants us to keep moving forward. Can you say amen to that? And it's a race, now get this, for holiness. God is wanting us to reflect the Creator's glory. To share more about Him. To love Him and to make Him known to this entire universe, but for all of eternity. Can you say amen to that? And that's powerful. I never forgot one day, I had this Sikh man. You know, you know what Sikhs are? The ones with the turbans, right? I didn't say Sikh, I said Sikh. Sikh man, he was working on my neck. I had neck problems. And he was working on my neck. And the most unusual questions come up when another Indian is talking to another Indian. And it goes like this. What do you do for a living? <laughs> and uh, it's usually uncomfortable because when I say pastor, all of a sudden there's just this, why? <laughs> and it happens all the time. So when he asked that question, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. There was the silence, awkward silence. And then he said, why? And I said, well, here are certain reasons. And I begin to give him a description of Daniel chapter 7 and talking about the Antichrist beast. And he was like, at the very end of it, he's like, so, um... I think all religions are pretty similar. They all have very similar ideals and actions and all these things. He said this, at the core of it, it's all the same. And the Lord impressed me at that moment just to say something to him. I said, brother, it's not about it. It's about him and discovering who he is, the one who existed before all things. I said, life is a journey about finding who he, uh, who he is and then making his glory known to this world. Can you say amen to that? I never forgot he was just, the spirit was really working on this man's heart. And that's what life is all about, ladies and gentlemen. It's about running in this race of holiness. Now, when I say holiness, I'm not just referring to, well, learning not to sin or learning how to keep the law perfectly. I'm referring to becoming more and more like our maker. Can you say amen to that? And I believe those other things are part of it. But ladies and gentlemen, if we focus on those things, we're going to miss the most important part, which is becoming like Jesus. Amen? And so we need to take a good look at somebody who was in this race. His name was Joshua. Take your Bible. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah was seeing this powerful vision of the high priest Joshua. And I love Bible passages about angels. Amen? Joshua chapter, excuse me, Zechariah chapter 3. We all there? Amen. Zechariah chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Then he showed me who? Joshua the high priest standing before who? The angel of the Lord. As we are going through this passage, I want you to mark certain things, ladies and gentlemen. There's certain repetitious phrases that keep appearing over and over and over again because God is communicating a point. Zechariah chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before who? 
the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to what? Oppose him. Zechariah sees this beautiful vision, and in this vision, he sees God on his throne, and he sees the angel of the Lord standing nearby, and he sees Joshua there, and then he sees Satan accusing him. In fact, the word accusing, you know what it means? It's the word Satan. Satan was Satan him. It's not only a noun, it's a verb. That's what it says in Hebrew. The word Satan means to, to resist or oppose or accuse. And Satan was doing what Satan does. And was Satan lying about Joshua's sin? Absolutely not. He don't need to lie. Those sins are there. And here he is, he is standing and he is accusing Joshua and he's saying, this guy does not deserve a right to your kingdom. Watch what happens next. Let's keep going. Verse 3, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was what? Was what? Standing before the angel of the Lord. Let's keep going. Verse 4, he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I have cl- will clothe you with rich robes. And I like verse 5 because you can give this to a Bible study to an Indian person. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. <laughs> Imagine giving that to a Sikh person, right? He's going to smile and he says, very good. <laughs> Zechariah actually joins in to what's taking place. The Lord rebukes Satan, and here Joshua is standing before the high priest, or before God, and all of a sudden the angels begin to clothe him, and Zechariah gets so just blown away by what's happening. It's like, and he just sort of speaks it, put a clean turban on his head too. He joins in when he sees others in the ministry. And that excites you, doesn't it, ladies and gentlemen? When you see a lot of people on fire, you catch on fire yourself. And that's why ministry is so important in groups too. Let's keep going. Let's find out what happens next. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him. Now watch that next phrase, ladies and gentlemen. What's that next phrase? And the what? Angel of the Lord what? Stood by. That's very important. Verse 6. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying him, Thus says the Lord of hosts. And he begins to give him this little mini sermon. But I want you to see something, ladies and gentlemen, in Joshua's walk. He was somebody who was attempting to come before God. And you know who showed up? The devil himself. But do you know who else was there? The angel of the Lord. And then when the devil's gone, Joshua's recognizing his filthiness. And you know who's standing by him? Not the devil, the angel of the Lord. And then when Joshua gets brand new clothes, you know who's still standing by him? The angel of the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, God is trying to help us understand something, and that is this. In our journey of sanctification, God is with us at that point when the devil is wanting to destroy us. God is with us at that point when we are recognizing, I'm a sinner, and God is still with us when we are overcoming. Can you say amen to that? Those angels also never abandon us during that time. As long as we are heading in that right direction, ladies and gentlemen, God will continue to keep working. Amen. And this is so powerful. Many times in my life, I have felt like I was at that place where the devil was saying, look at his sins. Look what he's done. And he was accusing me before God. But God did not abandon me. And there was parts of my life where I was experiencing, Lord, I am a guilty sinner and I can't overcome. And I was recognizing what was wrong with me. 
And God was saying, I'm still by your side. And then there were times in my life where I was overcoming certain things and God was saying to me, I'm right here still. Can you say amen to that? And that's powerful. The angels of God never abandon us during our sanctification. So while you may be at the letter A, even atheists, ladies and gentlemen, the fact that you are here is because God's spirit is working with you. And you may be in another part of your experience where you're recognizing, God, I am filthy, but I don't know what to do. God is saying to you, I'm right here with you. And you may begin to experience victory and praise the Lord. And God is still saying to you, I've not left your side. In the process of sanctification, in the journey of holiness, in the race of life, ladies and gentlemen, to reflect God's character and his beauty to the Lord, he never abandons us. Amen? And that's what's so beautiful about the gospel. But you know what's so beautiful? Is watch what the angel says to him. When Joshua experiences the peace of God's righteousness. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua and said to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, if you will keep my command, then you shall also what? Judge my house and otherwise have, likewise have charge of my courts. Now watch this last part. And I will give you places to walk among those who stand here. Ladies and gentlemen, who was standing around Joshua? Angels. And God was saying to him, if you are faithful, you will walk with angels. They will be your companions. And wherever you go, they will be. And I know there's been a lot of angels that have come to this GYC. They could be sitting next to you, ladies and gentlemen. I heard they're about 10 feet tall. Their faces are shining and they look like call porters, is what I've been told. But God wants us to recognize something. That the angelic ministry is all about humanity. Amen? And wherever we're at in this march to holiness, in this race of life, in this marathon of spirituality, God is with us every step. And like I said before, we must never forget this beautiful story. Because you may be at one part of your life experience, or you may be at another part. But God is giving you the same understanding, and that is keep moving forward. I am still with you, even when you took a a step back. But keep moving forward in your spiritual growth. And as I said before, there have been times that I have utterly fallen. I mean, I have just been destroyed by Satan himself. But God was still preserving me during those times. When I looked at my own sin and I realized, God, I can't overcome. There's been times I've looked at my own circumstances and things weren't working out right. And I said, God, I'm so discouraged. Other times the church itself discouraged me. And I wanted to abandon things. And the zeal began to just lag a little bit and I was getting tired and I said, God, I don't know if I can keep going. But then, this beautiful picture of the cross appeared, ladies and gentlemen. And whenever I see the cross, my strength comes right back. And many times to myself, I just look at the cross and I'm like, God, I feel better now. I can keep moving. And other times when I'm so weak and I'm just crawling, you know, trying to make it through this marathon. God says, look at the cross again. And I look at that cross and I'm empowered again to keep going. There are times that I feel like I've just fainted spiritually and I can't keep moving on. And God says, look up to the cross. And I saw that cross, ladies and gentlemen, and it empowered me again. Amen? Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, the cross becomes more and more of our experience. And I believe towards these end times, the cross is going to take more of a front position in our church. 
Now, I believe in many of the beautiful teachings. I believe all of them. I believe God has blessed our church. And I appreciate what Jeffrey was saying about uh, weirdness. I never forgot one day I talked to one individual. And he was like, yeah, we just believe in weird things. He's like, the church is so weird. I go, what's so weird about it? He was like, well, everybody goes to church on Sunday and we go on Saturday. I'm like, brother, you need to get baptized. That's what I was thinking in my mind. <laughs> but then as we were talking, I was thinking to myself, and I, then I said something to him. I said, do you know the difference between something that is weird and something that's unique? And he said, what? Something that is weird is an attribute or characteristic that makes people feel uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And then I said, something that is unique is an attribute that actually attracts. And I said to him, and I looked him square in the eye, and I said, our beliefs are unique. It's people who are weird. (laughs) And you know that's the truth. God has blessed us with such beautiful truths, and they are attractive. They are so attractive. I know we always speak so much about overcorrecting these teachings and the communication, and that's important. But ladies and gentlemen, our teachings are beautiful, and they attract. In fact, what is so interesting about our health message, I shared this in one of our seminars. Do you remember that story when Jacob was brought before the great Pharaoh? And do you know what Jacob did? He blessed the Pharaoh. Ellen White says, in conscious superiority, he placed his hand on the mighty Pharaoh. Can you imagine this? This old man and this Pharaoh who people can't even look at. Jacob places his hand upon him. And the Pharaoh bows his head. And he's thinking, wow, no one touches me. And Jacob prays a blessing upon him. What is so remarkable is what he says after that. Remember what the Pharaoh said? He looked at him, he said, how old are you? You want to know why? Because Egyptians never lived that long. They never lived that long and they saw this old man. They're just like, how old are you, man? But Jacob was reaping the fruits of the health message. And I know about another group of people who live a decade, a decade longer than others. And when people see the longevity, ladies and gentlemen, it's attractive. I never forgot we were posting out these things for a health fair. And we're passing all these flyers out and stuff like that. I met some lady at Jamba Juice. I love Jamba Juice. It's delicious. And so we were there. And I passed her and she just came from exercising. And so I'd hear, I said, check this out. And she's like, well, I don't know if I want to go to this. What's this about? And I said, it's a health fair. And she's like, really? And I said, do you want to meet the longest living people on the earth? And she said, yes, come to this health fair. (laughs) It works, amen? The Egyptians should be saying, wait a minute, how old are you? Why are you living this long? And it was designed to attract to the beautiful laws that God has set up, to the dynamics of existence that God has given to us, amen? I never forgot, actually, when I was flying uh, on the plane here, And uh, I flew from Oakland to Chicago and then from Chicago to Florida. The first part of my trip, I I was surrounded by non-Adventists. Second part, there was Adventists everywhere. But the first part of my trip, I was sitting next to this professional couple. She was a neurologist and he was a software engineer. Although they were not Indian, those are two things that Indians generally are part of. But I was sitting there and I was thinking to myself, okay, I need to be a powerful witness right now. And when I'm flying, I don't like to witness. I just like to sleep. 
And so I was there and I was like, okay, God, I want to witness to them. And so I was praying and I was like, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, God, I have courage. I have courage. And I said, excuse me. Hi. And they said, oh, we have to go to the bathroom right now. And I was like, oh, I dropped that ball right there. So I waited again and I was like, Jesus, take the wheel. Okay. And so I was like, hi, how are you guys doing? Where are you guys going? And they said, we're going to Chicago, and they were sharing with me about their trip. But what was so interesting, as we continued talking, she shared with me that they were of the Baha'i faith. They were also had a background in Zoroastrianism. Those are two things that are part of India's culture as well. Now, they were not Indian, but I said to them, I said, that's interesting. I said, I, when I went to India to do some speaking, I actually toured a Baha'i temple. I saw it over there. They have this big lotus temple. And she was just really impressed that I took an interest and I wasn't attacking it. And then, she, then I said to her, I said, when I was actually uh, doing some work in Arroyo Grande, I actually studied with a couple people who were believers in Zoroastrianism. Now that's a dying religion because I really believe what it is is actually they're not allowed to proselytize. So either you're born into it or you marry into it and it just shrinks more and more. And so I was sharing with them. I said, Dad, that was a lovely couple I studied the Bible with. And she just, her eyes were brightening up that I had respect for her and her culture. Then I said this to her. I said, you want to know what's so interesting about the Baha'i faith? And she said, yes, tell me. And I said this, did you know that the Baha'i faith started around the 1800s? She said, yes, I didn't know that. Now, what's really interesting, if you go onto the Baha'i website, they actually started during the 1800s, specifically 1844. And the reason why is because they had similar calculations to us. If you look on their website, they're similar calculations. They used the book of Daniel to come to 1844. However, their conclusions about what happened in 1844 is wrong. And so I was explaining this to her, and she said, yes, I'm aware of all these things. And I said, so you're aware that the founder of the Baha'i faith declared himself to be the Messiah in 1844. She said, yes, I'm aware of that. And then I said, did you know about the rest of Christendom that was studying out this same prophecy? And she said, yes, I'm very well aware of that. And it didn't happen. And I said, you're correct. But I said to her, there was another group of people who came to understand something about 1844. And she said, who are they? And I smiled. <laughs> I said, Seventh-day Adventists. And she's like, what about them? What was their conclusion about 1844? And then I do a quick Bible study with my hands about the sanctuary. And she says, I've never heard that before. Now, what was so remarkable, she was asking about my diet all of a sudden. And she's like, that is amazing that you guys have this special diet. And I was so blown away because, you know, you have a six-foot-tall, hairy Indian talking to people on the plane. Oh, you know, you always got to be careful of that. <laughs> and I was right by the exit door, too. <laughs> Some of you don't know my struggle. But God gave me grace as I was talking to her, and I was so blown away because how quickly she was attracted to this. And she wanted to know more. I got their information. I'm going to be inviting them to some seminar in San Francisco. But I was so blown away. Ladies and gentlemen, our teachings are attractive. Amen? And as we share them, God will bring people whose hearts have already been touched. And by the way, whenever you want to witness to a person, always remember this. God has already met that person before you did. Amen? But what's so awesome about all our teachings, ladies and gentlemen, is this, is that the cross 
as we near closer to the end time, becomes more and more central. It becomes the greatest of all our teachings, and it takes the forefront, it takes the stage. And as we exalt the cross more and more, it would be such a beautiful picture of Adventism to this world. When I was a Hindu and people would always say to me, hey, did you know Jesus died for you? I would say, so what? Gandhi died for me. They would say, Jesus died for you. I'd say, Martin Luther King Jr. took a bullet for me. That's why I can be in this country. But when I begin to learn all the various dynamics about the cross, about the law, about the Sabbath, about the state of the dead, about the sanctuary, all of a sudden, the cross took on a beautiful picture I had never seen before. And that's why these teachings are super important, because they exalt the cross. They're not separate from the cross. They exalt the cross. The pinnacle moment where God forever secured this universe took place 2,000 years ago. And many times in my life, as I said before, when I'm struggling in my spiritual walk, God reminds me, look at the cross. And I love reading Desire of Ages and specifically a certain quote that gives me power. Let's show that quote right now. There you go. This is so beautiful, ladies and gentlemen. And if you can memorize this, this is the most powerful quote out of all her writings. When she's talking about the second death that Jesus was experiencing. The Savior could not see through the what? Portals of the tomb. Hope did not present to him his coming forth from the grave a conqueror and tell him of the Father's acceptance of the sacrifice. He feared sin was so offensive to God that their separation was to be eternal. Watch this. Faith and hope trembled in him as he, in his expiring agonies of Christ because God had removed the what? Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus didn't have assurance on the cross. He had hitherto, heretofore given his beloved son of his approbation and acceptance, denied even bright hope and confidence in the triumph, which will be his in the future. He cries out with a loud voice, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Take a good look at this, ladies and gentlemen. When Jesus was dying on that cross, he did not experience assurance. He had no hope of the future, and he had no sense of his Father's presence. These three things is what the wicked are going to experience at the end of time. He was going through the experience of a lost man. Saved men don't cry out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lost men do. And as he was going through that experience, every time I behold the cross and I look at those words, my heart is such grip, it's gripped so much. And what's so beautiful, ladies and gentlemen, is this powerful point. The very things he was denied are the very things I get when I look at the cross. Denied assurance. When I look at the cross, ladies and gentlemen, I find assurance. Denied bright hope of the future. When I look at the cross, ladies and gentlemen, I feel like God says, I still got your future. And even when I don't sense the Father's presence, I look at the cross and all of a sudden I begin to sense the Father's love again. The very things he was denied, ladies and gentlemen, on the cross are the very things we get when we behold it. And this is why angels marvel at the cross, because of how beautiful it is. You see, as I said in one of my seminars, they have an understanding of the condescension. We don't. We just think Jesus came from the sky. And we look at it, or we look at pictures, and we say, well, I think Orion's belt is right here. But angels who have traveled the vast universe see the length of the con condescension. They know what Jesus went through. And one day when we get to the center of this universe, we're going to say to these angels, hey, by the way, where's earth? 
and they're going to say, all right, get the star maps out. Get the star maps out. You see this dot right here? Yes, that's not Earth. It's actually much smaller than that dot. Okay, where is it? We have a special map for that one. And they show us this special map, and they say, even the angels get lost because it's so distant. And it will dawn, us, dawn on us, ladies and gentlemen, that when Jesus became a man, the condescension was far greater than we had ever imagined when we are brought to the center of the universe and we behold all that God had created. And as we see his infinite greatness more and more, the condescension becomes greater and greater. And we realize, as I used in one particular analogy, of bungee jumping. You know, when people are bungee jumping, they may say to you, I jumped from a 150-foot bridge. And you may say, that's impressive. But what if they say to you, I jumped from a 300-foot bridge? You would say, well, that's more impressive. But then they say to you, I jumped from a 500-foot bridge. You would say, that's really impressive. A 1,000-foot bridge. And then they say to you, a 2,000-foot bridge. You would be blown away more and more because you're realizing the distance was greater. And as we behold the greatness of God more and more throughout all of eternity, we'll realize the distance of the condescension was far greater than we had ever imagined before. And it will blow our minds away. It will utterly blow our minds away. The cross is everything to us, ladies and gentlemen. And more and more, I'm starting to recognize this in my experience. If I don't daily come to the cross, I am not going to be empowered to keep going forward and this race. Speaking of race, my friend has a book called Born to Run. You ever heard of that book before? Good, I like surprising people. It's a book about the Taro Maro clan, uh, uh, Taro Maro tribe. They're different kinds of Indian, not my kind, different kind. And they live in North Mexico in Copper Canyon. The hard thing is researchers uh, have a difficult time trying to find them because they are what's called a running tribe. They like to run everywhere. I would never join them. <laughs> they like to run everywhere. And as their researchers finally track them down, what they discover blows their mind. This tribe actually can run almost 500 miles in two days. They've tested marathon runners against this tribe, and they blow the marathon runners away. They've even tested them against ultra-marathon runners, and they blow them away. Now, they have a plant-based diet. Unfortunately, they also do tobacco, and they drink. But somehow, they keep beating these ultra-marathon runners, and they don't know why. Some more study into that group found out that they like running without shoes. They get what they use is actually a sandal that they make out of tire that they find. One time somebody gave them a bunch of Nike shoes and they found all the Nike shoes stashed in a bush later on. <laughs> they didn't like it. They wanted that natural feel and they start running and they run and they run and they run in groups. They don't like running individually. They're a family-based clan. In fact, what is also so interesting about this is that they are so united in their running that the women only run 40 to 50 miles a day. Unfortunately, they're left behind. But they're so united, the males are, in running that some researchers tried to find out how athletic they were. They call them superhumans. They took a Taramaro uh, tribe from like many miles away and said, we're going to put you two together. And what they discovered is 
that there's this camaraderie that immediately developed that they thought the competition would be able to distance them and they would find out who was the winner and what they found is they were all crossing the line together. Their goal is not to win. You know what's so amazing about this tribe? Their goal is to win together as a group. And when, mother, when somebody starts lagging behind, you know what they do? They all start slowing down and one comes up behind them and they like get them encouraged and get, oh, I shouldn't be running on stage, but they get them up here and here they are and they get them caught up and they continue running all together and they love winning as groups. It's part of their family culture. They don't like to win individually. And that's what's so amazing about this group, ladies and gentlemen. But here we begin to understand God has given us a church so that we can encourage one another. Amen? And we're not to abandon the church. We need to keep going forward because this movement will make it towards the end of time. Amen? And as we continue on this journey together as a church, ladies and gentlemen, more and more we're going to discover that we have greater strength than if we did it individually. God wants us to come together more. And those who attempt to divide this church, ladies and gentlemen, they will fail because God's Spirit is behind this church, right? And that won't stop. The church may even look like it's about to fall, but it will not fall. It will make it to the end of time. And that's what's so powerful. I praise God, ladies and gentlemen, for the church that we're part of that has this beautiful message of the cross. But what is even more crazier, ladies and gentlemen, as I said to you earlier, we're not the only ones in this race. There actually is others who we will join. You know, I originally titled this message called Saving Angels. This morning I changed it to Racing Angels. And I'll tell you why. Can we show that powerful quote? In his instruction to the disciples, Christ, Christ dwelt upon the great gift of the Spirit, declaring that nothing was too great to be expected from the coming of the divine Spirit. He longed to quicken and enlarge the conception of his disciples by communicating to them his own, com own complete appreciation of God's love, that they might be able to comprehend the value of gift of gifts given by God with the giving of his beloved Son, the gift of the Holy Spirit. On all who love and serve God, this gift has been bestowed. Watch this. This is powerful. Christ had made provision for all to receive his spirit. For he desires to see human nature released from the bondage of sin and by the power which God gives, renewed, restored, raised to a holy rivalry with the angels. Many of you are shocked right now because you're thinking to yourself, what in the world is holy rivalry with the angels? It's not talking about a football game we're going to have in heaven, ladies and gentlemen. It's referring to something so beautiful that for all of eternity, us and these angels are going to be heading down this same path. Right now, we're walking behind these angels, but these angels are trying to get us caught up. And as we go on this race of life throughout all of eternity to reflect more and more of God's unselfish love, to try to outdo one another in good works and helping others be exalted above ourselves as we are in this race for eternity, ladies and gentlemen, angels and humans, angels and humans, angels and humans, reflecting more and more of God's glory and His greatness. It will be a holy rivalry. And are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Do you want to keep moving forward in this race of life? Last verse and we are finished. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. 
be making a very special appeal. Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with what? Endurance. Well, how do we run with endurance? The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and what? Finisher of our what? Faith. Ladies and gentlemen, the only way we're going to keep going in this walk, in this race, in this marathon, is by beholding Jesus more and more, by seeing that beautiful cross that will energize us, that will empower us to get back up and keep heading towards the end. But it's not the end, though, when we get to heaven. It's the beginning of a whole new race, another marathon. But there will be so much joy, ladies and gentlemen. God wants us to keep moving forward onward, upward. He doesn't want us to stay in the same place. Higher than the highest thought is God's ideal for his children. God says, don't stay where you're at. Movement is life. Movement is life. Don't stay where you're at. Desire more of holiness, more of change, more of God's power, more of grace, more of his spirit. Keep desiring more of God because he has so much to give you. When you take a good look at the Old Testament, ladies and gentlemen, you find out that angels are called sons of God and men are called servants, but there's a, a, a switching that starts happening in the New Testament. You find out that men are called sons of God. And there's references to angels being called servants. Why? Because God is trying to show us what's in store. God says, keep moving on this race, don't stop. Don't stop. Keep taking steps. Many of you have been convicted by the things you have heard today and throughout this whole weekend, and God is saying, keep moving forward. Don't stay where you're at. I brought you to this conference so you can take the next step. You may be tested right now, ladies and gentlemen. You may have burdens. You may have sins in your life that you can't overcome. God brought you here because he's telling you he's going to help you take that next step. You may be somebody who's struggling with him and he is saying to you, I brought you here so you can take the next step. But the place where that starts, ladies and gentlemen, is with the choice. I'm an evangelist. I make appeals. I noticed that there wasn't a baptismal appeal yet. Ladies and gentlemen, if the Spirit of God is working in your life and you feel the need that God has been calling you to be baptized or rebaptized, please come to the front, ladies and gentlemen. We're making an appeal today. If you feel that desire and you feel like God has been convicting my heart, I want to make that decision. You come to the front. There's plenty of room in heaven. Amen? Many times we talk about these, uh, the size of heaven and we compare it to a few states and where many people say, that's all that the new Jerusalem is. The problem is, ladies and gentlemen, there'll still be room. There'll still be plenty of room in the new Jerusalem. If God is calling you to make that decision to be baptized, please come up to the front. Don't delay these are the times that his spirit is calling people to keep moving forward. Amen? To keep beholding the cross of Calvary. These are those times that the spirit of God is striving with men. Striving with them. Trying to get them back in the race, ladies and gentlemen. He's trying to get you back up and keep you going forward. If the spirit of God is working in your life and you sense that conviction, 
please come up to the front. There's no time to delay. The other appeal is very simple, but so powerful, life-changing. If you're somebody that has a burden on your heart, it may be the burden of sin, something you can't overcome, specifically something you are struggling. I'm not here to tell you how to overcome. I'm simply going to tell you how it's going to start by you coming to the cross of Calvary. Ladies and gentlemen, is there sin in your life? Is there a burden on your heart? Something in your own life, an idol that you are struggling with? I want you to come up to the front, ladies and gentlemen, and say, I want to make this decision. I'm not even saying to anybody else, I want to bring this to the cross of Calvary, and that is the first step of victory. That is the first step of victory. If that's you in your life, ladies and gentlemen, God is calling you to bring that to the cross, to bring your burden to Him. You may be somebody in your life that feels like God has failed you in the plans of your life. Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling you back to the foot of the cross. And as you come to the foot of the cross, angels behold what you are doing. You become a spectacle throughout the universe, but not just throughout the universe, but for this alternative throughout all of eternity. Somehow the decisions you make today affect all of eternity. All of eternity. There's something in your life, ladies and gentlemen, that God is calling you. And I'm human. I know what that's like. I know what the struggle is all about. God is calling you to the first step to come to the cross. And you may be somebody in your life today, ladies and gentlemen, that have felt you needed spiritual renewal in your life. The first step is coming to the cross. And God will empower you. You might have fallen down in this marathon of life and God is saying, come to the cross and I will energize you again. I will energize your spirituality. Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling you to the foot of the cross and as you come, angels behold it. You know, we talk about heaven and how heaven rejoices when one sinner turns from the way and we say it during baptisms. But ladies and gentlemen, repentance is a lifelong process and every advance you make, angels rejoice. Angels rejoice. There's one who rejoices even more than the angels, the Father. I'll invite uh, our music team to come on out. We're going to be singing a very special song, a medley of hymns about the cross of Calvary. And as we say it, keep your heart open to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you today, this moment. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.